Well, welcome back to those of you that are live with, oh, there, I even got a wave, very good, uh, virtual uh, fist bumps and everything all around to those of you that are live with us here this morning. And we want to welcome those of you that are tuning in online. You are just as welcome. This is all part of the body of Christ. We're just having to do things in a little bit different of a way than what we've done historically in the past. But it is great to actually be back here with you after four months away. Yeah, you can give that a hand clap. That, that's good. Yeah. For those of you that are watching online, I think we have maybe about 25 people uh, here with us today, about a third of our normal attendance, and that's uh, about what nationwide average is. Churches are seeing about a third of their people actually coming back on Sunday mornings. But again, those of you that are watching online, we welcome you, and we're just all going to worship here together. Amen? All right. Well, it has been an interesting uh, couple of months, and you know, I, I got to thinking about some things. Things get canceled all the time, don't they? Some of you had a lot of vacation plans that got canceled because of the pandemic. There's various meetings at your work that get canceled because schedules conflict with one another. Some of you canceled some Amazon orders recently because you realized I don't need another 36 roll of toilet paper to get through the pandemic. TV shows, they get canceled all the time. Why? Because of a lack of ratings. People just aren't watching it anymore, and so TV shows get, get canceled. So cancellation is something that's been a part of our society for, for many, many years. But something's happened more recently in the last couple of years now called cancellation culture. How many of you have heard of cancellation culture? You heard of that before? Yeah. It's this weird thing where now entire people are being canceled. It started innocently enough a couple years ago with Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein, Louis C.K., people that sort of got caught up in the Me Too movement. And rightfully so, people said, you know what, maybe because of what they've done sexually to, to hurt people, we shouldn't be supporting their concerts and their products anymore. And again, that, that makes sense. Now, back in the day, we called it a boycott. And so that's what people started, started to do. But cancellation culture now has just gotten completely out of control. What happens now is it's not okay just to have a difference of opinion with somebody. You know, it used to be you could say, hey, we're just going to agree to disagree. That isn't the way it is anymore. Now... If you don't agree with basically this small group of people on Twitter, this sort of angry mob that says, this is how you have to think, this is how you have to behave, this is all the words that you can say and that you can't say, they basically say, if you violate that in any way, you are now canceled. That you're done with. You're no good. And so what's ended up happening now is everybody is starting to like try to cancel everybody. And we put labels on people. So, you know, right away, Christians get labeled as being homophobic. Can conservatives, you know, we, we get uh, labels of, of uh, you know, being intolerant or, or being racist. Liberals, they, they get the, the label automatically of, oh, you're just a Marxist or you're just a socialist. So there's all these labels that, that are going around. And people just want to say, look, it, it's not okay for us to have a difference of opinion on various things, but no, you are wrong. You are bad for believing that. And, and what has ended up happening then over the last couple years is because people continue to get canceled, now the cancelers are getting canceled. Because it's just this vicious cycle. I'll give you an example. Like many of you over the July 4th weekend, I watched Hamilton for the very first time. How many of you got a chance to watch Hamilton? Yeah, it was very, very good. I had read their, uh, uh, listened to the soundtrack many years ago when it first came out five years ago. 
It's fantastic. And by the way, maybe this surprised you, maybe it doesn't, but I love musicals. I'm like, I know all the, all the different musicals. So I had listened to the soundtrack multiple times, you know, many years ago. But this was the first chance to actually be able to see it. And it is absolutely amazing that you can take boring American history and turn it into this very engaging hip-hop musical it's just a testament to the genius of its writer and its creator and its star, Lin-Manuel Miranda. This guy is, is a genius with what he came up with. And when it first came out back in 2015, he was hailed, as again, as a genius. He won a Pulitzer Prize for Hamilton. Uh, he was invited to the White House multiple times. In fact, Hamilton was called a musical for the Obama era. And it won 11 Tony Awards, just... It's, if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. It's really, really cool. And part of what was going on was the sort of the, the cancel culture people, the, the people that are quote-unquote woke, they said, isn't this amazing how we've taken, like, American history and we've allowed this predominantly African-American cast now to, to tell the story. And so it was hailed. It was getting all kinds of rave reviews by everybody. Four years ago, when Vice President Pence, he and his wife went to see it, the cast during the curtain call actually called he and his wife out. In the liberal media, they went crazy going, look at that, thumbing it in his nose, thumbing it in the nose of the president. And so, uh, again, Hamilton and the, the cast, they were all praised for it. However, did you know that the number one trending hashtag over the July 4th weekend was hashtag cancel Hamilton? All of a sudden, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's a Puerto Rican, and the African-American cast were labeled as racist. They were labeled as racist. Because cancel culture, again, once you start canceling all the people that were sort of easy pickings, now they're going on to the next level and the next level and the next level. One actual uh, critic and uh, sort of a prominent activist, here's what he wrote. Hamilton is racist buffoonery and revisionist history meant to make white liberals feel good about themselves. So this whole cancel culture has just gotten way out of control, and it's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is last month, Lisa and I had Bill and Megan and Nate and Allison over to the house for dinner, and it was the first time that we had been together as the six of us for a while, and, you know, we're, so we were just sort of catching up with one another, and we were laughing, and we were eating, and we were just talking about, you know, what was been happening throughout the quarantine, and this was right around the time that George Floyd had been murdered, and we were all sort of expressing some frustration that we as followers of Jesus, we wanted to do something ab about this to, to help the situation, but we weren't quite sure what to do it, because as, as white people, we were told, white people, shut up. We don't need to hear from you anymore. It's been, you know, everything that you've done over all these years, it's all your fault, so just shut up. So we're like, okay, is that what we do? Because there's another group of people that go on, white people, remember, silence is violence. And so it's like, what do you do? Right? And, and some of you may have experienced this, that you're like, being careful about every single little word that you say and, and how you say it, because, like, people are out to get you. <laughs> they want to cancel you. And so we got to thinking, you know, if, if that's something we're struggling with as church leaders of how to have this biblical response to all this, what is, you know, most Christians, are, are they experiencing these same types of things? Or are we the only ones that's like, 
wow, you're just like walking on eggshells, and you know, you gotta be, you gotta be very, very careful. And so we continue to talk about cancel culture and, and sort of the frustration we had and wanting to do something but not sure exactly how to do it. And we're also just talking about the, the time of you know, quarantine, about how some people had really gotten engaged during the time of quarantine and were using it as a time to, to grow in their faith, and other people were sort of detaching a little bit from the faith. And all of a sudden, I, I forget who it was that originally said it, but we sort of took those two things and we combined them together, the quarantine and cancel culture, and we said, you know what? In the future, they're going to try to cancel Jesus. They're going to try to cancel the church. And what this quarantine has been has been almost a little bit of practice for what that could be like. You see, what's happened over the last four months is we weren't able to physically meet together here in this room. But yet, through the miracle of technology, and those of you that are watching today, we're able to still stay connected with you. We're able to, to do that through, you know, live worship experiences, or actually we've pre-recorded all of ours, but, you know, pre-recorded worship experiences, and Zoom calls, and, and right now media, and all the things that we're able to provide technology-wise for you to stay connected with one another, and stay connected as a, as a body of Christ. But what cancel culture is going to do is eventually they're going to say, uh-uh, if you even say the name of Jesus, if you even show up at a church building, and they'll put whatever label on that they want to. And they're going to try to make it eventually illegal for us to even meet together like this. And so the question will be, what's going to happen? Now, before I go any further, let me say this. Let me remind you of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus says this, I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not be able to conquer it. So again, the, the church, the capital C church, is going to be fine. That will never get canceled. People have tried to do that for the past 2,000 years. The church will always survive. The question is, will your faith survive? When it gets to the place where you are told that it is now illegal for you to be a follower of Jesus, under the threat of arrest, persecution, being beaten, or even killed, will you still follow Jesus? If cancel culture tries to cancel Jesus, will your faith get canceled as a default? Or will your faith actually grow and get stronger? Again, I'm not worried about the capital C church. I'm more concerned with you. You know, if you didn't have myself or Nate or your favorite TV or radio or internet preacher, would your faith still grow? Do you know how to feed yourself spiritually from God's Word? Do you know how to continue to develop your relationship with Jesus to make it stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger? Could you do that without our help? You've, you've got to get to that place. Will you still be willing to, to meet together, even if it is illegal? Now, we may not meet together in a building like this. That's easy pickings. But will you become a part of what's called the underground church, like so many people all around the world today are still involved in, places like China, where it's illegal, places like Cuba. My, my friend Steve, he was just in Cuba uh, recently. Uh, should I say this? Yeah, he talks about it. Uh, he just doesn't say who it is. But it, my, my friend Steve, he was recently in Cuba to train pastors. 
and he went in on a visa uh, that, or a, a tourist visa, you know, like he was going to tour around and stuff. This was all obviously pre, pre-pandemic. But he and about, I think it was 25 pastors all packed themselves in a little hotel room so that they could get trained. Any moment, the authorities could have busted down the doors and arrested them. Now, we hear stories about that, like, oh, well, that's Cuba, that's China. But what if that came here? What if the church got canceled? Are you still going to be willing to, to meet together, even under the threat of possible death? My fear is that for many American Christians, the answer is no. That for many American Christians, Christianity has just become a very consumeristic thing. That I come in on Sunday mornings, I get my religious goods or services, and then I leave. And this whole pandemic, as I've been looking at the, the, the uh, national statistics, what's happening with churches, right away when technology was offered, and hey, we're just switching over to online, and we experienced the same thing here at Exponential, a lot of people tuned in right away. What we've noticed is our numbers of people that tune in have stayed pretty consistent. But guess what's gone down? What's gone down is how many people are actually tuning in at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Why? Because, oh, now church is on demand. It's like Netflix. I can watch it whenever I want. And what we've forgotten is that the church isn't about you. It's not about you being a consumer. It's about us as a body together encouraging one another and praying for one another, and helping one another, worshiping together, serving together in whatever way we can. And again, this wasn't just exponential. This is nationwide. This is what we're seeing. Is that people are just tuning in if they want to tune in, and when they want to tune in. Again, very consumeristic. I liken it this way. You remember you're a parent when you, you had a little kid and they were you know, maybe six months old, one year old, maybe even up to two years old and they refused to eat. Did you ever have that? They refused to eat. And what do you do? You, you play the game, right? You, you take the thing and you, you put it on the spoon or the fork and you do what? You go, open wide, here comes the plane. And they laugh and their mouth opens and you jam it into their mouth, right? Well, that's pretty cute when it's a six-month-old. Or a one-year-old. A man that's 30 years old. A woman that's 60 years old. If you still have to do open wide, here comes the plane, that's pathetic. At some point, you got to learn how to feed yourself. To learn how to grow yourself. And it's the same way with Christianity. My fear is that many Christians keep living year one of their Christianity over and over and over again. That, oh, I've been a Christian for 10 years, or I've been a Christian for 25 years, or I've been a Christian for 50 years, but yet you keep repeating year one over and over and over and over again. It's like what we as pastors have to do is go, open wide, here comes Jesus. Why? Because you've never learned how to feed yourselves. And by the way, this isn't a new problem. The Apostle Paul, the the church that he helped to start in the city of Corinth, at one point he's like, you guys are still on the milk of God's word. You should be eating meat by now, but you can't because you're still infants. You're still babies in the faith. He says, grow up. Grow up. 
The writer of Hebrews, same thing. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. The writer says, by now, you should be teachers. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the first things you need to know from God's Word. You still need milk instead of solid food. Anyone who lives on milk cannot understand the teaching about being right with God. He is a baby. Solid food is for full-grown men. They have learned to use their minds to tell the difference between good and bad. Now, I think there's two lessons we can learn here from this scripture in Hebrews. But to understand this, we're going to have to actually look at another book of the Bible, Ephesians. So if you've got a Bible you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, you can do that. Again, that's where we're going to hang out for the most of today's message, Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. All the scriptures will be on the screen here behind me, or if you're watching online, they'll pop up on the screen for you there as well. And for everybody here today, uh, you can get out your phone or on your computer, and you can go to our website, exponential.church, and our online bulletin is there. You can follow along with everything. Or for those of you that are watching online right now, if you click the little button there in the upper right-hand corner of your screen, that's called Talk Notes, and you'll be able to get all the uh, notes there as well. All right, so with that said, a couple lessons we can learn here from Hebrews chapter 5. The first one is this. I must be able to tell the difference between good and bad. You know, the, the problem right now is our society doesn't know how to tell good from bad. Some people go, Trump is good. Other people go, no, the orange man is bad. Some people go, CNN, that is good. Other people are like, no, that's just fake news. We haven't learned how to tell the real difference between what is good and what is bad. And so the people of our country are waging a war against each other. It's not with, with bombs and, and, and guns and that type of thing. It's a war of words. And we're, we're waging this battle over what is right, what is wrong, what is good, and what is bad. But look at what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, we are not fighting against humans. We're fighting against forces and authorities and against rulers of darkness and powers in the spiritual world. Paul here, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, look, your battle is not against the government. Your battle is not against President Trump. Your battle is not against Governor Wolf. Your battle is not against Republicans or Democrats. This isn't a Trump versus Biden thing. This isn't a Fox News versus CNN thing. This isn't a people who wear masks over people who don't wear masks thing. This isn't a battle with your family members, your neighbors, your boss. No, this is a spiritual battle that you are in. Not against people. It's a spiritual battle against Satan and against the forces of, of, of evil in the dark world. That's who our battle is against. And Jesus reminds us that Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. That's what he wants to do. That he wants to rob you of all the, the blessing that God would have for your life. Jesus reminds us that Satan is a liar. Peter at one point reminds us that Satan's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, I remember many years ago when I first wanted to memorize this particular verse here in Ephesians chapter 6. Anytime I'm memorizing, I'm always looking for, is there an easy way to memorize it, right? Because I'm like you, you know, I, I sometimes struggle to memorize things, and so I'm like looking for any little clue that can help me out in memorizing. And so is there like a bunch of letters that start with the, or a bunch of words that start with the same letter, or is there some uh, words that rhyme that will help me, or is there an acrostic that I can find here? 
Well, when I memorized this particular verse many years ago in the NIV, I noticed that there's four things that Jesus is saying to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here in the writing of Paul. He's saying that we are battling against rulers, against authorities, against principalities, and against evil. Rulers, authorities, principalities, evil. Rulers, authorities, principalities, evil. Anybody come up with my acrostic? Rape. That's what Satan's trying to do to you. He's trying to rape you. He's trying to take from you what is yours. Our battle is not against human beings. Our battle is against the enemy of our souls. Trying to steal from you, kill from you, destroy you, rape you. So stop making it a, a war of people. Start realizing who the real enemy is. Don't get caught up in Twitter and Facebook war of words with one another. Realize again who you're battling. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 4. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use what? We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. So we're not using bombs. We're not using guns. We're not using Twitter rants. No, we are to use God's mighty weapons in order to destroy Satan, which brings me then to point number two. I must use the weapons that God has given me, not my own. Paul continues then in Ephesians chapter 6 with what is commonly referred to as the armor of God. And remember, what has he just talked about right before this? He's talked about that our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's not against human beings. Our battle is against Satan and the, spirit and the, uh, the rulers and the authorities and the principalities and the evil that's in this, in this world. And so he says this then in chapter uh, 6, verses 13 18. After everything he just said, therefore, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Now, what I want to do here is I want to look at this list sort of from head to toe. Paul starts out, he says, put on the helmet of salvation. Why, why do you put on the, the helmet first? Well, have you ever realized how important helmets are to protecting us? I mean, just look at sports. Football, they wear a helmet. Even on the days that they're in practice and they're only in shorts and T-shirts, even then they still wear a helmet. In baseball and hockey, helmets are mandatory. You don't have a choice. You have to wear them. Even like bicyclists and motorcyclists. A lot of times you'll see them out. They got a T-shirt on. You know, they may have biker pants on or whatever. If they fall off, <laughs> that T-shirt and, and the shorts aren't going to protect them. But yet, oftentimes, they are still wearing a helmet. Why? 
because we can survive road rash. We can survive broken bones that we might get. But what we can't survive is getting our brains crushed. So it's very important that we protect our head to, to protect our mind. So Paul says, first of all, he says, put on that helmet of salvation. That's where it starts. Be reminded that you don't deserve heaven. You don't deserve God's gift of eternal life. Why? Because we're all sinners. We've all messed up. We all deserve hell. He says, but remember that Jesus died for you. Jesus lived the perfect and sinless life you could never live and then died on the cross and shed his blood in payment for your sin. He's given you this free gift, this gift of eternal life if you'll just simply accept it. Ask for his forgiveness, ask for his leadership, and he will freely give it to you. So Paul's writing here, that's where it starts. Put on the helmet of salvation, the most important thing. Put that on first. Start this new life with Jesus. Take on his righteousness because you are unrighteous. Which leads then to the second thing. He says, put on the, the breastplate of righteousness. You see, even though we have salvation, we still are sinners. We, we, we still have that proclivity to want to wanna sin. But we put on that, that breastplate of righteousness that it's Jesus' righteousness that it's protecting my heart. Jeremiah at one point, he says that the heart is the most deceitful thing that there is. It's the most wicked thing that there is, the human heart. And so by putting on God's armor, it protects our heart. Because Satan, once you're saved, he doesn't give up on you. He still wants to attack you. He still wants to steal from you and kill you and destroy you and rape you. So we put that on to protect ourselves. Now, once the, the mind and the heart are protected, Paul says, now take up that shield of faith. Because Satan's going to try to shoot in his, his flaming arrows at you. Now, obviously, it's not literal arrows that are being shot at you, but what does Satan do? He tries to accuse you and make false accusations against you and call you names and give you labels that you're not that you're pathetic, you're a loser, you'll never amount to anything. How could God ever use somebody like you? Your marriage is always going to suck. You're always going to be broke. You're always going to be sick. You'll never amount to anything. So Paul says, man, you, you've got to put up that, that shield of faith so that those arrows bounce right off of it. And this isn't scripture, this is just sort of me saying this. But the way I sort of picture it is that the, it's those words that Satan is putting in, and when it bounces off that shield, it goes back. It's that song that we just sang earlier that, no, 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 I am who you say that I am. You are for me, you're not against me. Why? Because I am who you say that I am. I am chosen, I'm not forsaken. Why? Because I am who you say that I am. And we, we just go through the, the whole litany of Scripture that in faith we remind ourselves that, that Jesus says that we are more than conquerors. Jesus says that we can do all things through him who gives us strength. That he is for us and, and not against us. So now we have the, 
helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, that shield of faith. Paul says, make sure you got your belt on because it's embarrassing to be in a battle with your pants down around your ankles, right? So put on your big boy or big girl pants. Put on that, that belt, that buckle of truth. It's truth that we need because Satan is a liar. We need the truth of God's word to remind us again of who he says that we are and, and all the ways that Satan lies to us. We need that reminder that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. What is truth? Jesus is truth. And that's where we always go back to. Next then, as we run into the battle with the shoes of peace. It's not that we're just sort of on the sidelines, sort of playing Christianity. No, we're running into the battle. Why? Because we're not afraid of Satan and what he can do. And we know that there are many people that are out there that we can help them because they are out there in the middle of the battle and they don't have the protection that we have. They don't have salvation. And so we're going to help bring them into a relationship with Jesus. We're going to help them to, to get fitted with the right kind of armor that they need. So we're running in with the gospel of peace. We're running into these situations. We're bringing peace. We're not stirring up more and more dissension on Facebook and Twitter. We're bringing peace into the situation. We're always pointing back to Jesus. We're always pointing back to the gospel message, not to our opinions, but to the gospel. So we run in with peace, and we bring peace to every person. We bring peace to every situation that we possibly can. And we even model peace. The people say, whoa, look at this. All the, all the arrows are everywhere. I'm freaking out here. Why are you so calm? It's because of Jesus. He has given me a peace which surpasses all human understanding. I don't understand it, but his spirit protects me and leads me and guides me and directs me in the ways that I need to go. So we bring peace in. Now, I want you to notice that up to this point, everything that you've put on has all been sort of for defensive purposes. Paul says there's one other thing you need. And that's your offensive weapon. Pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is your weapon. Not your clever intellect. Not your clever arguments that you come up with. No, your weapon is the Word of God. And not to beat people over the head with it either. To club them to death with Jesus. No, it's to speak both grace and truth. And finding that fine line between the two but always pointing back to the Word of God. This is what Jesus did. You know, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert, he didn't just go, oh, I better get my willpower on right now. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. No, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't even pray in that moment. No, what did Jesus do? He quoted the Word of God. Why? Because Satan hates God's Word. At the Word of God, Satan must flee. Anytime we remind Satan, this is what the Word of God says, Satan's like, I'm out of here. That is too powerful for me. You're taking that sword. I mean, with Satan, yeah, club him. Beat him with the Word of God. 
But this is our weapon. There is power in these pages. Not in the physical book. This is just a book. But it's those written words there that are powerful. Why? Because Jesus is the Word. And the Word became flesh. And He made His dwelling amongst us. We have seen His glory. He came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Again, that's us. Full of grace, full of truth. Say that with me. Say that with me online. Full of grace, full of truth. You can't be all grace. It can't be, oh, it's okay, honey. You just keep on sinning. You just keep on doing your thing. You just keep on living your way. You know, it'll be okay. God's just going to overlook all that. We can't be all grace. But we can't just beat people over the head with the Word of God either. We need to speak the truth, but we need to do it with love. Season it, grace and truth together. Again, God's Word, that is our weapon. So the reason this is so important to understand this is, again, what if church got canceled? Not just what we had the last four months of physically meeting together in a church building, but what if we weren't even able to go online anymore? What if that all gets shut down? Are you going to be able to get into God's Word for yourself and read it and study it and memorize it and meditate on it and know how to apply it? Or are you just dependent on myself and Nate and others going, open wide, here comes Jesus. Folks, this is so important that we take this seriously now while we still can. And I'm not saying that I'm being prophetic or whatever. It's just, again, we were sitting having that meal and it was like all of a sudden those two concepts came together of cancellation and quarantine. It's like, wait, what if, what if this actually happened? Are our people prepared for that? Now, one other thing I want you to notice about the armor of God. Everything protected the front of you. You got the shield, you got the sword, you got the armor. What is not protected is your back. And that's why Christianity isn't meant to be lived alone. That I need you and you need me. Why? Because we got each other's backs. that we're going to protect one another. We're going to help one another. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to rebuke one another. We're going to confess our sins one to another. 57 different things just in the New Testament alone we are told as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to do with one another, including meeting together. Now today, fortunately, we are able to physically meet together in a building and you know, through the miracle of technology, again, many of you are tuning in. But this isn't an on-demand thing. This is a, we are together, in this together. And that includes even if the church gets canceled, even if we're being persecuted, even under the threat of arrest, are you still going to say, you know what? They may have canceled the word church, or at least they think they did, but the real church still goes on. Because I'm going to have people over to my house, and we're going to get our worship on, and we're going to get our Jesus on, and we're going to do it even if they say we can't. Why? Because this is what Jesus has commanded us to do. To be the body together. Again, the church isn't a building. The church can be your house. The church can be anywhere that two or three are gathered together in his name. So will you still be the church? Will you still have the backs of one another? Or are you just going to give up? Again, these past four months, it's been basically a little bit of a, of a test. 
Some of you, you passed with flying colors, right? You, you took my words seriously and other words seriously of don't waste your quarantine. Use this as a time to really grow your faith in Jesus. Many of you have. Some of you, this whole quarantine, it exposed some weaknesses in your faith, but yet you saw the light of that and you said, you know what? I need to do something about it. And so you were able to grow in your faith and do something about it. But then there's more people then that they said, basically given up. Given up. And so you stopped watching online. You stopped participating with Zoom calls of getting together and encouraging one another. You stopped going to the Right Now Media page and as a family, like, watching videos and doing different lessons in order to help your family to grow? Why? Because, again, you were only on the milk of God's Word. You didn't know how to sort of continue on. And so what I'm encouraging you is now get serious about your faith. No matter whether you're here, whether you're online, no matter where you were in that whole process that I just talked about, get serious now about your faith while you still can. while you still have all the tools available to you of pastors that can preach and the internet and, and all the books and everything, be serious about now growing your faith. And by the way, if you're one of the people that you've sort of gotten away a little bit, it's not too late for you. God's never done with us. All you got to simply do is say, God, I messed up again. <laughs> right? We all still mess up occasionally. God, I messed up. I need you to forgive me. And God, help me to take the next steps that I need now to, to grow on my faith. And that's exactly what he'll do for you. He'll help you to take whatever those next steps need to be. You see, here's the thing. The battle's already won. You know that, right? The battle's already won. I, I've read the end of the book. We win. We win. Ultimately, the battle is won. Now, we have some little skirmishes here, but the battle is won. And so we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Jesus has already given us the victory. And so we need to walk in that victory each and every day. Now, I'm going to encourage you to join us next week for part two of this series called Battle Tested. And by the way, I didn't even mention that, that word throughout this thing, but basically that's what I've been saying is these last couple of months, this has been a chance for us to sort of get in the battle, to get battle ready, to get battle tested. But next week, we're going to look at a man from Scripture who he did. He, he thought he was doing good, and then he sort of threw away his relationship with Jesus. He didn't have a lot of faith, but Jesus restores him, and Jesus uses him to change the world. He's one of the reasons that we're here today or we're watching online because of the story of this particular young man. So make sure you join us next week as we start to get really practical. Today was more of that sort of overview of, of what Battle Tested is and why we've got to be getting ready. But we'll get really practical over the next three weeks then of tools that you can use now uh, to help with that. So hopefully you'll continue to join us online. Uh, those of you that are here, hopefully you'll come back again and uh, be a part of it as well. But for now, let's pray. Father. Thank you so much for this day and this opportunity we've had to, after four months away, have uh, some of us gathered together here in the building. We thank you for those that are continuing to tune in online.
um, that they were able to, to participate through the miracle of technology. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would continue to take what Satan is meaning for evil here in our country and throughout the whole world and turn around and use it for good. That we would honestly evaluate our own hearts and our own minds and am I really in faith in Jesus? Am I, am I really protected by the, the armor of God? And I really have that, that shield of faith? Am I really using the, the sword of the Spirit? Am I using those things in the proper way? Father, whatever way it is that we need to learn and, and to grow and to change, I, I pray that right now your Spirit would just reveal that to us and that you would then give us the courage to take whatever next step it is that you ask us to take. No matter how scary that next step may be, again, give us the courage to walk it out. Father, thank you so much that you do change us and make us different. You make us more into your image and likeness. You help us to be the best representatives for you that we can possibly be throughout this whole world. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.